Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. This is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. When the weather gets warm, the music industry's big album release season starts heating up, too. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We'll review a bevy of new spring releases from artists like Mumford & Sons, Alabama Shakes, and more. Then Jim will add a song he can't live without to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Craig, you know, we are moving quickly toward our 500th show on public radio. We had this ratings guide in the beginning when we started out. Buy it, burn it, trash it. Burn it being like to copy a CD. We've now been doing this show long enough. The technology has passed it. We now rate records on the buy it, try it, trash it scale. We're going to rate four important new late spring, early summer releases later in the show. But first, we have some music news. First things first, I'm the realest. realest. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. Let them feel it. And I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. Right, right. right. You should want a bad team like this. Huh? Drop it low and pick it up just like this. Yeah. Cup of Ace, cup of Goose, cup of Chris. I heal something worth a half a ticket on my wrist. Back. On my wrist. Taking all the liquor straight. Never chase that. Never. Stop like we bring an 88 back. What? Bring the hook scene where the bass at. Champagne spilling, you should taste that. That's a little bit of Fancy by Iggy Azalea. Greg, the commercial hit of the summer in 2014, according to many sources. Personally, I would have gone with Megan Trainers All About That Bass. That was my summer song last year. The weather's finally changing here in Chicago, and we're thinking about summer songs. We've done shows about this in the past. An interesting statistical analysis recently on Nate Silver's 538 website about summer songs coming out earlier and earlier in the year as the music industry really tries to manufacture the big summer hit and give it to us early on. Uh, statistics. In in the last 30 years, 36% of the huge summer hits have come out in April or earlier, and 36% have come out in May. If you look at the last decade, the most recent data shows that eight of the top 10 summer songs came out in April or earlier. Look at that list. Yeah, Jim, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned Fancy, and that did rule in 2014, despite your claim of Megan Trainor's All About That Bass. I think All About That Bass was maybe a little later on the later it side of summer. It was late summer, but it was massive. So, Fancy, you know. Fancy got the early part of the summer. But 2013, Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke and Pharrell and T.I., all that trouble it's got into recently with the legal issues, nonetheless ruled the summer of 2013, although I personally thought... Daft Punk's Get Lucky was a song of summer for 2013. Gangnam Style, you couldn't escape it in 2012. In 2010, California Girls by Katy Perry. Katy Perry ran the pop charts in the summer of 2010. I got a feeling by Black Eyed Peas, they were everywhere 
in 2009. Katy Perry again in 2008 with I Kissed a Girl. And Umbrella, of course, with Rihanna and, and Jay-Z in 2007. You could predict these songs, you know, starting in March, you kind of knew that these songs were just going to dominate. They weren't going to leave radio. They were going to be everywhere. This year, you and I were talking about this, you know, a few minutes ago. I'm not hearing one. What's the song this summer? So we want to hear from our listeners. Give us a call, 888-859-1800, and tell us what the song of the summer of 2015 is going to be. That is music from The Best Show, the popular, long-running comedy musical call-in show that began on WFMU in 2000 and continues today as a podcast. The Best Show is hosted by comedian Tom Sharpling, but the highlight of each program is when John Worster, also known as the drummer for Super Chunk, calls into the show in character in the guise of various inhabitants of the fictional town of Newbridge, New Jersey. The cult phenomenon is now being celebrated with a whopping 16-disc Greatest Hits box set from the reissue label Numero Group, which is better known for unearthing forgotten gems from small R&B labels. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Tom Sharpling and John Worcester of The Best Show. Hey guys, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hey. Hello, thank you for having us. So tell us how this thing got started. This has become a podcast phenomenon, The Best Show. And uh, it starts at a My Bloody Valentine concert, right? Is that basically the genesis story of you two getting together and starting to work together? That is when I met Tom, yes. How's this for a power bill? It was My Bloody Valentine, Super Chunk, and Pavement. Wow. Uh, at, at the Ritz. I think it was called the Ritz at that point, but it was Studio 54 before, before right. that. In New York City. Yes. And um, we just hit it off about Chris Elliott. That's what we talked about first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before he was anybody. Well, at that point, he was uh, well into watching his sitcom Get a Life not find an audience <laughs> except for two guys at a My Bloody Valentine pavement super chunk show, apparently. So, so how many years in total did you guys do I mean the best show starts out as this idea and eventually makes its way to WFMU the legendary progressive uh, station freeform station in New Jersey right how many years total on FMU 13 years uh, of the best show I had been doing a music show on WFMU and that show in, uh, over the course of some time uh, morphed into the best show in 2000 because John would often call in in character, right? When you were still playing music, John would call in. It, it was it, that I would. I guess you could say that show majored in music and minored in comedy, and then we switched those two things uh, when we when we ch- called it the best show. Which is why we're talking to you because the music's always been, don't you think, Greg, a key component? I mean, there, there's a rock spirit to this comedy, even even if there's not necessarily music being played on the show, right? Right, there's a lot of talking about music. Um, one of our early calls that is my, my mother's favorite call involves uh, I play a guy who who uh, is trying to rip people off on eBay. And after we talk about eBay, I fall down the steps. And then I am lying at the bottom of my steps, dying with all my limbs broken. And Tom and I just start talking about rock stuff. Like that band Buck Cherry, remember them? 
Sure. Came out and it was like, you know, it appealed to people who were uh, uh, who were twelve when you know when like Powerage came out, ACDC. You know? Sure. So it's like it's almost like kind of capturing your lost childhood or something. That band. I that... long for my childhood when I had legs and arms that worked. <laughs> That's just an example of, of, of what we can get into. Uh, How much of this stuff was improvised uh, at the start? I mean, was it just completely off the top of your heads, or did you actually have kind of a little bit of a game plan going in before, like, the, a, t- a typical phone call? We always, always had a game plan of sorts. The, the early calls are, are a little looser. Like, um, the first call we did was, was, uh, was called Rock, Rotten, Rule, and that's where I, I called in as this... Uh, this guy that had written a completely idiotic rock reference book where he tells you who rocks, rots, and rules. All right, who rules? Yeah. The who? Black Crows, Kiss, Ramones, Everclear. Uh, Everclear? Puff, yeah. Puff Daddy. Puff Dick, Daddy? Yeah. You don't think he rules? I, I, I personally don't think he rules. That's just me, though. I guess he didn't poll me for your for your book. And we had a... Have, Maybe a two-page little outline of that, and I, I had some examples of who rocked, who rotted, and, and who ruled. But then a lot of that, a lot of that, we just started talking, and more and more comedy came out of that, and people started calling in, and that would that would drive the call other places. But now they're they're uh, I would say about ninety percent planned out. Mm-hmm. I just love the way people took seriously. They thought that you were seriously discussing rating bands as rock, rot, or rule. You know, I do take umbrage to him describing it, Greg, as idiotic because I reviewed the book when it came out and said that it was the the single most uh, essential rock consumer guide ever, putting Robert Crisk out of shame. That's right. Jim, I think you might have written the very first review of Rock, Rot, and Rule. I did. It was, it was a great point of pride. See, so I, I made you guys what you are today. I see it that way. Were there particular critics that you based that on? I I think it was based more on just the idea of people, of one person appointing themselves an authority on anything. And then you look and they don't have the Any clout to do it. <laughs> But they're still they're going to walk the they're going to talk the talk even though they're not necessarily walking the walk, mm-hmm. and kind of the way people fall in line with reviews and with opinions like that, and and conversely the way people get so upset about reviews and things when it's just so arbitrary in the larger scheme of things. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Well, you can't worry about what other people think. People take it so personally, though. That's the one thing we find as as people who do actually do this for a living. You know, not as well as John you know, or and Tom do with rock, rot, and rule. But uh, we we sort of do this, you know, thing where you'll put out an opinion out there that happens to be your opinion and your opinion alone, and everybody takes umbrage because it's you know you're dealing with my band, man, or my artist, my favorite artist. And they take it way more personally almost than any other art form, I find. And I, it, I, it seems like you were tapping into that. Yeah. Um, my my character in the course of this call uh, makes the, the the very bold statement that madness rules because they invented ska. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. and a guy called in and he was, just like you said, he was furious. He could not believe that someone would say such a thing. I hold my hand an album. 
It's called The History of Ska, Volume 2, The Golden Years, 1966 through 69. Would you like to hear the first cut by the Scottalites? Is it called Our House? No. Dude, that's madness. Yeah. I'm talking 66, pal. One step beyond. You're an ass. I hope we're on a, on a seven-second delay here. One step beyond! And he call, I think he called back two more times, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he wanted he wanted to school you on the forty year he history did. of ska. He did uh, not getting the joke at all. But but John, you also would be calling in. I gather you were often on tour. Uh, you know, probably had just set up the drums right, and then would like take a break and call in sometimes in character as Gene Simmons. Hello, is this Tom? It is Tom. Hello, Tom. It's Gene Simmons of Kiss. Listen, I understand you're having a little pledge drive tonight, is that correct? We are having a pledge drive. It's the WFMU fundraiser. This is very exciting for you, isn't it? To do the, the fundraiser? No, talking to me. Oh, to talk to you. <laughs> Wait, how, how did you pull that off? <laughs> well, there was a, about 13 years of, of standing in a dark alley behind a rock club trying not to do a stupid voice too loud so people wouldn't think, <laughs> There was a crazy guy back there in the trash cans. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would try to. I was. I try. I'm on the road. Maybe. God, it seems like two thirds of every year now. So, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm somewhere making a call every Tuesday night. <laughs> Well, all right, so Andrew Gill, who's who's a, a key member here of the Sound Opinions team, helps us with all of our live shoots for bands. And uh, his theory is that the entire success of what you guys have done over the last decade and a half is based on a million bands crossing the country at any given time in a van, facing seven-and-a-half-hour drives with nothing to do and listening to you two. That's that's how we got the word out there originally. Um, when, when I was in Superchunk... I'm still in Superchunk, but when we were touring all the time in the 90s, that's how we spent our days. You know, you're playing loud rock all night, and the last thing you want to do during the day while you're driving is listen to more loud rock. So these these prank call tapes would, would kind of get exchanged between bands, the Jerky Boys and uh, the Two Bar tapes, things like that. And then um, the first... Two calls that Tom and I did, the aforementioned Rock Rotten Rule and this one called Conventions, Inc., where I, I play this crazy guy that puts on all these dumb conventions. Um, we, we put those on a, on a cassette and we gave them to bands. Guided by Voices was one of the first bands, um, Spoon, Slater, Kinney. And they just exchanged hands over and over again. And I think that's how people became aware of us at the beginning. Hey, I was wondering if you could play something from the new Lovely Boy CD. Lovely Boys. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I have that. Okay. How about something by the Craigs? The Craigs. Uh, I don't think I have that. We'll just play anything by any of the bands who are going to be at the festival this weekend. What festival? You're kidding. Poptastrophe 2007. Well, what is that? Poptastrophe? Yeah. It's this huge power pop fest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's happening in Newbridge down by the dock. And I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. Yeah. It's going to be bigger than the Paisley Pop Popathon last year in Des Moines. And it's definitely going to make January's Papadelphia Pop Nation Fest look like Poptopia 2002. Given what a receptive place uh, FMU was, and I grew up listening to it and loving it, right? Visiting them out in when they were in the Oranges, right? Why did you guys leave? The show 
it it was pretty much becoming a full-time job and there's just a, a crossroads where it's like either we have to stop doing this or we have to do a uh a, like a a worse version of it that takes less time or we have to see if there's another place to do this version of the show where there's an uh, uh, the potential of of getting paid and WFMU is a non-commercial station and that's just I think it's a great setup but it's not meant to support a show that keeps growing and growing like like the best show was so So you were eager to sell out and uh <laughs> decided to become your own podcast and and make your millions that way that's yeah. what you're saying I've if if I can just move this money away from the it's blocking the mic the stack of money that I've got in front of me I just need to, it might be muffling me a little bit so I'm going to just slide this giant stack of money over to the side I, we have to underscore the absurdity of this 16 <laughs> CDs from the Numero group the 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 premier reissue label in America today and the live tour, which includes a stop at Lincoln Hall. Yeah. I, mean, I swear this is like one of your routines, except it's <laughs> yeah. true. Jim, you're hurting our feelings. Well, Fine, I, we're not putting the box out now. I just called Rock Rotten Rule the, the <laughs> indispensable rock tome of all time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just had all the box sets dumped in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, about a, a year ago, we were looking at all of these things and we were kind of like, if all of these elements stay on track the way they are, it's like the show will be back and then this box set will come out and then we can do live shows around that. And this, uh, we did a thing for Adult Swim that will have come out and all it's just like if everything stayed on target, they would all converge. And this is the moment that they are converging. It's, so. it's like you had a manager or something. Right? And we still can't afford new sneakers. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tom Sharpling and John Worcester, thanks for talking with us today, guys, on the uh, Rock, Rot, and Rule scale. I say this interview absolutely ruled. All right. Uh, Bye. Thanks again, guys. Coming up, we've got reviews of major spring releases from Mumford & Sons, Alabama Shakes, Sufjan Stevens, and Van Hunt. Then it's Jim's turn to talk about a song he can't live without. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.
You've only lost the night Preset all your pretty feelings May they comfort you tonight And I'm climbing over something And I'm running through these walls I don't even know if I believe Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is a little bit of the song Believe from the third studio album by Mumford & Sons, Wilder Mind. Craig, Mumford & Sons exploded out of the UK, London-based group, London-based quartet, in 2007, led by a drummer and singer, a new millennial Don Henley, if you will, Marcus Mumford. The other guy's not actually his sons, they're just his mates. What an interesting career trajectory to go from playing banjo and fiddle music, acoustic folk in that Celtic Isles tradition, to headlining giant festivals and filling arenas. The big news is that after Marcus Mumford contributed a couple of months back to that Lost on the River, the new Basement Tapes project, finishing unfinished songs by Dylan and the band, Mumford and Sons is plugging in. They're leaving the banjo largely at home, and they're going more electric on this album what are they giving us we'll come back with our review in a minute but first let's hear a song this is monster by mumford and sons from wilder mind on sound opinions so we're out, in the dark i saw you late last night come to heart i saw you dance in the devil the night kept coming Really nothing I could do Eyes of the fire Unquenched by peace Cast the beauty Cast the queen And so we come To a place of no return Yours is the face that makes my body burn And here is the name that our sons will learn Cast the beauty, cast the queen Cast the beauty That is Monster from the third Mumford & Sons studio album, Wilder Mind. You know, I was amused by the interviews that the band was giving before this album came out, Jim. They were saying, people are going to freak out. We're going to lose a lot of our fans because <laughs> we're making this radical change. And I guess in the, in the eyes of some Mumford & Sons fans, the fact that there are no banjos or accordions on this record is a major change. You know, electric guitars. But in my mind, what they've done, instead of taking done anything risky with it, they've gone in the exact opposite direction and become more like other bands on the radio. The, the one thing that Mumford & Sons had going for them, I thought, was in some ways they could be credited for creating almost a subgenre 
of commercial rock radio, bringing in those acoustic elements into the music and creating these big arena rocking songs with that sound. At least they were a little different from everything else on the radio, and there were a number of bands that followed in their wake. You know, a band like the Lumineers, for example, probably wouldn't have a career if Mumford & Sons hadn't gotten there first. I don't know that it's such a good idea to have acoustic stadium rock. Well, I have to say, when I saw them very early on, I was impressed by the energy, and I was impressed by what they were doing on stage. There were two things that impressed me about that. One, they, they seemed to have something to say, and secondly, they were doing it in a unique way, at least for the context for the times. They were doing something different. Now all those things have changed. They sound more like, you know, the aspiration seems to be on this record, well, it sound more like Kings of Leon. And secondly, whereas uh, Marcus Mumford seemed to have something to say, he was dealing with some issues of morality and religion on those early records. Now the, the, the lyrics themselves have become incredibly generic and bland. Like he'll mention something like a specific site like Tompkins Square, but then do nothing with it. I don't quite understand this move. I think it's a, it's a failure. On Sound Opinions, we write records on a buy-it, try-it, trash-it scale. This is a trash-it record for me. Oh, it's absolutely a trash-it record, Greg. The one thing I will give them credit for saying, they do own up to their own complete shallowness. We played a little of that song, Monster. If you didn't catch the lyric, don't you pick at our seams. I'll turn into a monster for you if you pay me enough. You know, I one of the best students I ever had at Columbia College in my Review in the Arts class was a huge fan of that first Mumford album. She had tattooed down her left arm lyrics from a Mumford song, and I reviewed the second album right when I first met her. I said, you know, you're going to regret that someday. And she said, I kind of already do. Second album's not as good as the first. Right now, I bet she's wanting to chop her arm off. Right? I mean, this is I, this notion of Springsteening and U2-ing Fairport Convention for the stadium festival crowd is just so bogus. And the lyrics are so bogus. And the big, dramatic, climactic flourishes of monstrosity. This is an awful, awful album. It's a double trash it. listening to Sound Opinions, and that is Sound and Color, the title track from the new Alabama Shakes album, the second Alabama Shakes studio record. Alabama Shakes, a band out of northern Alabama, the Muscle Shoals region, famous for uh, being the nexus of a lot of great R&B and soul records in the 60s and 70s. That's where this band is coming from. Basically, a, a homegrown project based around the singing and songwriting talents of one Brittany Howard. It's a four-piece band, five-piece on the road, originally called The Shakes, endorsed by the drive-by truckers. Patterson Hood of, of that band saw the band and encouraged them to keep going. They recorded an EP in 2011. A full-length release followed in 2012 called Boys and Girls. We had them on the show right around that time. They started causing that underground buzz, and by the time 
the year end of the year rolled around, they were on a lot of critics' polls, a lot of top ten lists, and the record had gone gold, sold over 500,000 copies, which is quite an accomplishment in an era when records supposedly aren't selling. Now they're back for the second album. It's called Sound and Color. Here's a track from it before we review it. It's called Don't Want to Fight from Alabama Shakes on Sound Opinions. Fight by Alabama Shakes from their second album, Sound and Color. Greg, this is a phenomenal record. You know, I think the challenge for a young roots rock band so steeped in the soul tradition or the R&B tradition is where do you go next? What else can you do? How do you grow? If you Google the album title here and reviews, you will see the word kaleidoscopic pop up again and again and again. And I think what's happening is that the Alabama Shakes are bringing in a measure of the Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield psychedelic soul era when a lot of the soul and R&B greats of the early 60s broadened out in 66, 67, 68 and brought in touches of psychedelia. Not that this is a psychedelic record. It's just that the palette has gotten much bigger. You mentioned Brittany Howard. That's all anybody ever talks about. What a vocalist, a complete powerhouse. But this is the album where Alabama Shakes proves they're a band. I'm thinking of a long track, which we would have loved to have played, that fuzz-drenched song, Gemini, which is like an Allman Brothers mushroom jam, but but with Howard's vocals. There's also a punk rock song. They just explode in fury on that tune, The Greatest. A lot of uh, musical expansion here. I I love this record. You know, there are a few down moments uh, that sound a little bit too much like the first album, but overall it's absolutely a buy-it record for me. Jim, I would agree. I was kind of wondering where they had to go after that first record. Boys and Girls was a very good record. Brittany Howard obviously was the star with that voice. I think the voice sort of trumped the fact that in some ways this band was a bit retro. They were clearly 
drawing on 60s and 70s influences. There was clearly that Memphis groove going on there, that Muscle Shoals groove. They were bringing those kind of sounds and updating them. But it was really Britney that made that record with the powerhouse vocals, the intensity, uh, the soul intensity that she brought. Here, the music has expanded. They're using the studio as an instrument. It's a, a bigger budget, more time. They're experimenting in a way that you say, that's exactly what we hoped you would do. Instead of sitting in that one pocket, they're expanding the palette musically. Brittany has expanded her palette as a vocalist as well. I think she sounds like a different vocalist, and I mean that as a compliment on every song here. She's trying out different styles, everything from the, the soul feel that she brought to the early records to, you know, the, there's a little bit of doo-wop and swing and, and some jazz phrasings that she's using on this record that indicate that she's continuing to grow as a vocalist. The only quibble I have with this record is that Brittany Howard's lyrics are still a little bit surface level. The music has gone deeper, it's more expansive, but the lyrics are sort of still sitting there on top. I want a little more specificity. I want a little bit more detail She's talking in about those lyrics. Loss in her family, and, and I, I don't but buy I think that. But I think it's still kind of vague. I want more specific details. But you know what? Wait, wait, Again, who are you, a, Oprah a, over there? We want a confession. It's a quibble. I think she's got it in her. I, I think she's got it in her, and I'm looking for that growth. The growth continues on this record, Jim. Don't get me wrong. It's a buy-it record for me. Spirit of my silence, I can hear you. Death with Dignity, that's the opening track from the new album by Sufjan Stevens called Carrie and Lowell. It is the seventh studio album by this much-loved indie folk singer-songwriter, darling of the art set in New York now. Greg most recently was being commissioned by the Brooklyn Academy of Music to do some orchestral music. Born in Detroit, though, and really started to make waves when he went solo after a couple of early records with an indie rock band. Became a solo artist in 1999. I think made it on the map in the mid-2000s with those two albums, paying homage to two states that he loved dearly, Greetings from Michigan and Illinois. People started buzzing about Sufjan Stevens as a singer, songwriter. This was something interesting literarily, musically. Okay. It's been a while since his last record, The Age of Ads, which saw him taking an electronic turn. Now he's going back to the very stripped down, arguably more stripped down than he's ever been, Roots, with a record that is named after his mother, Carrie, who died in 2012, and his stepfather, Lowell, who was married to his mom for five years. He's thinking back in particular over these songs about a couple of years that were pleasant, where he spent, uh, when he was a child, with his mother and stepfather uh, traveling to Oregon. But in general, his mother was not a happy or well person. She was bipolar, schizophrenic, suffered from drug addiction and substance abuse, died of stomach cancer in 2012. This is some deep stuff to make an album about. He recorded it alone in his apartment, a home studio in Brooklyn. Let's play a tune from the record. We'll come back and we'll give our review. This is Blue Bucket of Gold by Sufjan Stevens from his seventh album, Carrie and Lowell on Sound Opinions. My 
Bucket of Gold from Sufjan Stevens, the new album, Carrie and Lowell. Jim, I've been somewhat skeptical, maybe a lot skeptical, about Sufjan Stevens over the years. Skeptical is me, buddy. Haven't been a huge fan. I did understand the appeal of a record like Illinois. That was probably his most commercially successful, most popular, most acclaimed record. For many reasons, the orchestrations were beautiful. I found it somewhat rhythmically tired, you know, flaccid. It just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, there was sort of, you know, layers and layers of beauty, but it, it just seemed kind of flat. What I like about uh, this new record, Carrie and Lowell, is that it returns him to his roots. He was kind of more of a, a folky, experimenting with different ethnic styles in his early days. And and this is a more of a straightforward, stripped-down record, as you'd mentioned. Again, kind of sitting in the same place rhythmically. The songs do tend to blur a little bit together for me because of the sparse instrumentation and that very low-key voice. You know, you'll be reminded of Elliot Smith. Except Elliot Smith wrote great songs. Well, and again, I'm not saying that the songs are bad on this record. In fact, they're quite moving if you pay attention to them. They does require close attention. I think it's not the kind of record you can put on in the background because you wonder, eh, what's going on there? But you start paying attention to what is going on there, and it's an intensely emotional record. He's pouring everything he's got into these songs and in trying to deal and cope and understand the relationship he had with his mother. The song that kind of got to me was the one we just played, Blue Bucket of Gold, and the way it just sort of fades out instrumentally was a very beautiful moment on the record and an emotional moment. You could sort of see the ending of this record as sort of an ambiguous one, you know, where it's not quite clear where it's going or where he's going, because on one of the previous songs, No Shade, he's thinking about suicide. You know, He talks a lot about death and and self-destruction. Self-destruction is a a big part of this record. So the way it ends kind of leaves you hanging, thinking, I hope this guy makes it through, you know? Because I think he's worried that, you know, my my fate is going to be similar to my mom's in a lot of ways. So on that level, it's the first Sufjan Stevens record that I would recommend to somebody who wasn't a Sufjan Stevens fan. I'm going to give it a buy it rating. 
Wow, I'm surprised to hear that. I Look, I, I'm completely willing to grant that I just may not be mature enough to appreciate <laughs> Sufjan Stevens. I just may be too, you know, I like my rock and roll dumb and stupid and fun, right? <laughs> Except when I like it really smart. If I'm talking on the folk side of things, I love Nick Drake. I despise James Taylor. For me, Sufjan Stevens falls more on the James Taylor end of the spectrum. Now, this relationship with his mother and stepfather, who, by the way, happens to work at Asthmatic Kitty, his, his stepdad works there at the label that puts him out, that's fascinating. I'd like to read more about that. I wish he was writing poetry or short stories about that. I wish he wasn't singing and playing this monotone, slumber-filled, in- inducing, coma-inducing. I, I, you know, this is a boring record. The melodies aren't there. The lyrical, you know, thing... I don't know. And then, you know, God comes into play, but he's also talking and occasionally throwing out these kind of risque lines just to see if we're away. I don't, it's just a mess. <laughs> and I, I, re- I listened like 12 times, right? And I realized I, I spent so much time with this record, and, and it just did not repay any of that. It's a trash it for me. Jim, you have no soul, but we knew that already, right? So uh, Mumford & Sons, we uh, both trashed that record. We did not like that. Alabama Shakes both gave it a buy it. Sufjan Stevens, a a direct split. I give it a buy it, surprising even myself, and you give it <laughs> and you give it a trash it rating. But enough about what we think. Tell us what you think of these albums or spring releases that have got you excited. Call 888-859-1800. You can also email us at interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back with our final review of the week, the latest from multi-instrumentalist Van Hunt on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's a track called Vega from the new Van Hunt album, The Fun Rises, The Fun Sets. Atlanta singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Van Hunt, a rising R&B star a decade ago. He had a lot of songwriting credits, started out as a key songwriter in R&B in the late 90s, early 2000s, writing for people like Dionne Ferris and Rashawn Patterson. 
made some Grammy Award-winning music of his own for a major label, but was unable to really find his niche. Is he R&B? Is he rock? Is he soul? What exactly is Van Hunt? Uh, That is poison if you're on a major label, if they can't fit you in a niche. And he ended up getting dropped from his major label deal. He put out an extraordinary 2011 indie release called What Were You Hoping For? After a long silence, which was all over the map in terms of the kind of music. Uh, We loved it here on Sound Opinions. We had him here as a guest on our show. And now he's got a new album. The fun rises, the fun sets. Here's a track from it before we review it. It's called Old Hat from Van Hunt on Sound Opinions. Van Hunt from his fifth studio album, The Fun Rises, The Fun Sets. Greg, this artist should just be so much more widely known, right up there with Kendrick Lamar or Frank Ocean or D'Angelo as some of the leading voices in uh, soul music, uh, R&B, neo-soul, whatever you want to call it today. You know, there's depth, but there's also an incredible amount of fun. We didn't play all of Vega when we bumped in, but I love how one minute he's seriously intoning, the next verse is full of similes and metaphors, and then he's just goofing around saying, I want to sail with you on my fantasies, and I'm the captain of this relationship. And, and there are some lascivious moments, too, but it's done in that old-school kind of funk, good-humored way that respects everybody. What, what I'm trying to say is when he's uh, giving us come-ons, they are just a little bit naughty, but never offensive, right? Meanwhile, musically, the guy is a powerhouse. He's strong vocals, playing all the instruments himself like Prince. Hey, you know, Carmel, uh, my wife caught me the other day. I, I was making dinner. She came home from where I'm dancing around the kitchen. I'm unashamed to say. And it's not a pretty sight when I dance, okay? But I was. Uh, th- th- this album just makes me happy. It fills me with joy. So it is a very enthusiastic buy it from me. 
Well, Van Hunt is an artist who deserves a wider audience, Jim. There's no doubt about it. I think on this record, as opposed to what were you hoping for, which was all over the place musically in a really great way, this is a little bit more narrow-focused. And that is a good thing because he does this sort of layered, trippy funk and soul really well. This is, again, you know, you, you don't want to wear this uh, terminology out, but this is a great headphone record. You can dance to it in the kitchen as you did, but you can slap the headphones on and take this musical journey as well with the guy. Everybody's talking about how innovative D'Angelo and Kendrick Lamar have been, especially in recent months with their new releases, and they're great. But why isn't Van Hunt in the conversation with those guys as a guy who consistently innovates, who continues to color outside the margins of what we think R&B or funk should be and is consistently making great records? He belongs in that conversation. And this record adds to the legacy. As you mentioned, there's a, a line that he's walking here. He's talking about sexuality and erotic imagery but not in such an explicit way that it's a complete turnoff. You know, he's still dancing with it as opposed to, you know, let's get down to business and, and leaving nothing to the imagination. See, I, I think the church ladies in the choir would kind of <laughs> smile and yeah. blush a little bit instead of, like, wanting to kick him out. Right. He's a wonderful singer. He's got a great ballad touch. There's some tracks on here, like Headroom, that indicate, you know, he could have been a great mainstream R&B songwriter. And then you've got stuff like Emotional Criminal and the title track, which are these big set pieces that if this guy ever gets a crack at playing in an arena, you know, would just go over gangbusters there. He's a great artist, Van Hunt, and The Fun Rises, The Fun Sets is a great record. It's a buy it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and drop a quarter in the desert island jukebox, playing a track we cannot live without. Jim, you've got a new favorite this week, right? It's an old favorite, actually, Greg. Dates back to 1986. If we can thank Sufjan Stevens for anything, he got me thinking about literary music and songs and songwriters that are perfectly capturing a literary vibe in a tune. And I think uh, Robin Hitchcock is way up there as one of the best. Numerous times throughout his career, longtime friend of Sound Opinions, we're both fans. But in 1986, he put out a record called Element of Light that has what I think is a perfect tune in sort of uh, being a, a novel in song form. Raymond Chandler Evening pays homage to the great crime writer, champion of the noir mood in Los Angeles. And it does so, you know, in like two verses and just a little more than two minutes. There's a body on the railings that I can't identify. And I'd like to reassure you, but I'm not that kind of guy. It's a Raymond Chandler evening and the pavements are all wet. I mean, that is just just absolute poetry. I remember talking to Hitchcock when this came out. I was a young fanzine guy. And I'm like, I said, you know, it seems like you're more serious on this record. And a lot of people aren't liking it as much as some of your earlier stuff. He had had this band, The Egyptians. They put out a record called Fegmania that was big on the indie rock circuit, the soft boys before that. And he said, you know, that's sort of the problem 
with occasionally being a humorist, people are like, I've paid my $10 and you haven't made me laugh. Or, you know, like there's only one song about a fish on this record, right? I'll put this up there with anything as great, like Dylan or just, you know, it's that great and that simple and that beautiful, even if there's a little bit too much jazz bow playing from Andy Metcalf and Morris Windsor. It's a, it's a little overproduced. There's a great demo version of this, too. Anyway, Raymond Chandler Evening by Robin Hitchcock on Sound Opinions. It's a Raymond Chandler evening At the end of someone's day Standing in my pocket And I'm slowly turning grey I remember what I told you But I can't remember why And the yellow leaves are falling In a spiral My Desert Island Jukebox pick this week, Raymond Chandler Evening by Robin Hitchcock. Better on his worst day than Sufjan Stevens on his best. What do we have on the show next week? Greg? I like I like the Robin Hitchcock, that's for sure. That's a great, Thank you. great choice. And next week, Jim, we have a live performance and interview with the artist Zola Jesus. Looking forward to it, Greg. As always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hi, Greg and Jim. Uh, This is Wilbur from uh, beautiful East Brunswick, New Jersey. I listened to the Peter Hook interview on your last episode, and being a big Joy Division and New Order fan from back in the day, it was fascinating to hear Peter's comments and opinions. 
in light of your question a couple of weeks ago on bands as brands, I was wondering what your take on Peter Hook and the Light's current tour might be, where their sets are comprised of Joy Division's albums played front to back in their entirety, even though he is the only person in the band from uh, Joy Division. I suppose one can argue as to whether or not such a show is an homage to a band's legacy or just a money grab, but I suspect that a lot of that judgment is based on how much of a fan you are of that particular band. Uh, thanks for the great job on the show, guys. I always enjoy listening to it. Uh, take care. I've been waiting for a guy to come and take me by the hand. Cause these sensations make me feel the pleasures of a normal man. These sensations bear the answers, leave them for another day. I've got the spirit, lose the feeling, take the shuffle away. Hi, my name is Evan. I'm from Philadelphia. I am all for bands touring without a couple original members, not for the brand aspect of it, but because there's something about having just one original member play one of those songs that they helped write. Uh, my first concert was actually seeing Yes without John Anderson and with Rick Wakeman's nephew Oliver playing keyboards. <laughs> I realized it wasn't the genuine, the real deal as I was seeing them, but it was still cool to hear them play roundabout. You know, no cover band in the world could give me that experience. Love the show. So long. Hello, Sound Opinion. This is uh, Dimitri Samrov calling from Chicago, Illinois, addressing the whole reunion slash oldies uh, summer tours that seem to happen more and more uh, with each passing year. It's done nothing but depress me for years and years now. It has uh, cut into a lot of older musicians' creativity as well, I think. There's tons of guys that used to be in popular bands that have continued to play music and uh, good music, but this uh, irresistible pull of cash and nostalgia will not let them go, and it's horrendous. There's something to be said for breaking up and leaving memories alone. I'd much rather live than relive. You know what I mean? Thanks. I am a trans guy calling from Santa Cruz, California. I'm a longtime listener, and I just wanted to say how much I appreciated your Against Me and Laura Jane Grace interview. Thank you so much for giving her an opportunity to talk about such important issues. And I also just want to give you guys some props for being uh, middle-aged white dudes who are pretty consistently trying to make space for some diversity issues in your programs. I really appreciate Jim's consistent support of women in rock and um, music that's good for little girls and um, I think that's great. So thank you so much for all you do. It's a lot of fun to listen to the show. Bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800.
We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.